Praise God. The title of this message is, What is in you? What is in you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that you gave me when I was empty, when I had nothing. Lord, you always fill empty places. You always fill low places, God, when there's faith. So God, I thank you for filling me. I pray that you'd give me an anointing from heaven to preach this word and to speak it and teach it in the power of your spirit, not in my old natural mind, but in yours. And Lord, I pray for these people that you'd open ears to hear and hearts to receive, that you'd write on the hearts of flesh, Lord Jesus, permanent words, God, not another sermon that someone says, oh, that was good, and they can't remember an hour later what it was about, but a permanent word etched into the hearts, written on tables of living hearts, God, that will be retained for the rest of our lives. Glory to your name, Lord. Glorify your Son in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for the reading of the word? Philemon 1, actually there is only, there's no chapters, it's Philemon 4 through 6. I thank my God, this is Paul speaking, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. We saw last week that the person that trusts in their own heart is a fool, right? The world's message is trust in your heart, let it lead you. And God's word says he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. We saw in Philippians 3.3 where Paul said we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The flesh represents that body of self that's independent of Christ. It's not talking about the soma or the, the, the human body. It's talking about that, that part of us that's the self-life, independent. It's where the sinful nature resides. The flesh is the natural man with his reasonings, his wisdom and his philosophies. 1 Corinthians 2.4 says, but the natural man, that's the fleshly man or woman, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually understood. This is why a person can read the whole Bible multiple times and still be in the dark. How many of you met someone like that and you, you're, you're trying to witness to somebody and say, oh, I read the Bible, man. I read it. I read it twice. And it was, I got nothing. It was, just, it was just a dead book to me. That's because Jesus said in John 3 that you must first be born again to even see the kingdom of God. Without being born again, without the Holy Spirit opening your eyes, all the spiritual truths and mysteries of the gospel are hidden to your eyes. You, you're blind to it. You can't see it until God opens your eyes. Even... Uh, even the good works of those who are in the flesh, Paul said this, they're displeasing to God because he said, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Did you know that? No one in the flesh can please God. No one in the natural mind, no one doing their best or doing good works can please God if they're not done in faith. This is why Cain's offering was rejected, yet Abel's was pleasing to God. Cain offered the best of his flesh, the best of the natural man. 
But by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice, a more excellent sacrifice than his brother. Even the best of the flesh is filthy rags to God. You know, there's multimillionaires and billionaires that are philanthropists and, and give massive amounts of their wealth because they've, they've gotten tired of spending it on themselves and there's really nothing else they can buy to satisfy them. And so they want to feel good about themselves and they give them uh, money to, to good causes. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's bad. You know, they, they give money to orphanages or to food pantries. I'm not saying that's bad. But to God, it's not acceptable as works that can commend them to God. It has no justifying power. It has no ability to make them right with God. It's as filthy rags to him. What is a clear indicator? I want to say this first. Only what is offered by faith pleases God. Only what's offered by faith. Because when you offer something by faith, it's actually you've received it already from him and now you're offering it back to him. Abel's sacrifice was a picture and type of the sacrifice of Christ. Only faith pleases God. It says without faith it's impossible to please him. What is one of the clearest indicators that our offerings or our works are from the flesh rather than the spirit? We, like Cain, become sullen and angry when our works are not recognized, when we're not thanked for what we've offered. Listen, isn't that true? You do something, you do something, you serve in some way, you do some good deed, and no one sees it, no one thanks you, and all of a sudden, you're angry about it. That's what happened with Cain. He made his offering, and, and God didn't accept it, and he went around moping. Sullen, displeased, and angry. When you do your works before God, you're doing them for him. Doesn't matter if anyone else sees it. Doesn't matter if anyone else pats you on the back. You're doing it for God. Don't let your anger and sullenness that your works are not accepted turn into greater sins. That's what happened with Cain. But listen, God in his grace came to Cain when he was sullen, when his countenance had fallen, and he reasoned with him and he said, if you offer what is right, you will be accepted like your brother. It's not that Abel had a better flesh than Cain. They had the same natural, the same natural sinful nature. But Abel offered what he did by faith. Cain offered the best of the old man. And God came to him and said, look, if you'll come my way, if you'll come by faith, I'll accept you. I'll receive your offering and you. But you know what Cain did? He nursed his offense. He nursed his anger. He nursed that he wasn't accepted by God for what he offered his best. He nursed his anger. And you know what that turned into? The first murder. The first homicide. He was so angry, that bitterness turned into hatred, turned into murder. That's why Jesus said, if, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, it's, it's the same as murder before God. If you nurse your anger, it will turn into murder. Even if you don't carry it out, in your heart, you've already cut them off. There's a lot of people in church that are spiritual murderers. They, they say, well, I wouldn't just go and get an ax or, or plan their death. But they wouldn't care less if that person dropped dead. There's no love of God in their heart for them. If they stopped coming to church or they never saw him again, they'd say, good riddance. That's murder. 
It's not the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is reconciliation. The heart of Christ is mercy. Can I exhort you today? Don't nurse your anger or hurt feelings. Embrace the gift of repentance and God will lift you up, cut off that root of bitterness and cause you to walk in ways that please him. Think about this. This is going to offend some people. I hope, hope we don't walk out, but it's truth. An unsaved person cannot do anything that pleases God until they pass through the door of salvation, Jesus Christ. I was talking with someone recently about a very sad situation, and I'm not going to talk about it with you. Because the Holy Spirit just said, don't share that, so you're not going to get to hear that. Friends, even the, even the good works that unbelievers offer are filthy rags to God. Why? Because they offer them to prove their goodness and they are a denial of the righteousness of Christ that they need by faith. They're trying to say, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Look at what I can do. I don't, I'm not as bad as those people. I'm offering my good stuff. I'm offering my good works. God simply doesn't accept the works of the flesh. They are rottenness to him. In my family, we discovered that I have the most sensitive nose. I smell things that others in the family don't. If there's something rotten in the pantry, I'm the first one to smell. I'm like, what is that smell? Something's going bad in here, honey. She's like, I don't smell anything. I'm like, something is going bad in here. Some potatoes or onions or something is spoiling did you know that dogs and, and bloodhounds in particular have a sense of smell that is 1,000 to 10,000 times more acute than a human? And the black bear has a sense of smell that's 10 times greater than the best bloodhound. They can smell things that would just not even register on the human brain. And the elephant, they say, has the greatest sense of smell. It has over 2,000 genes for smelling in that big nose of it. Now imagine that God's sense of smell is limitless. Scripture tells us that he was pleased with the fragrance of the incense at the, in, the, in the tabernacle. Scripture tells us that our sin or our, our, our own self-righteousness is as filthy rags. You know what filthy rags? They stink. They stink. But humans say, oh, I don't smell that. I don't smell anything. What do you think he smells from you? And from me. Does he smell the fragrance of his son, Jesus Christ? Or does he smell your own self-righteous good works, which are like rotting rags, which are like a corpse? He can smell it from eternity. We don't smell it on each other. Maybe sometimes we have a little discernment and we meet someone new and, and, and we're like, wow, that person is really into themselves. They, they really are arrogant. And they don't even know it. They don't even realize that they come off as arrogant. But you can discern it or you can, so to speak, smell it. And hopefully they come to Christ or if they are a Christian, they get humbled and they humble themselves and they learn to put away that stench of pride. But my friend, let me tell you this. God does not accept any filthy rags. He doesn't accept the good works that are based on ourselves, the natural man, the natural, what we can produce. He only accepts the works of his son and what come through faith in his son. What does he smell on you? What does he smell on me? 
Romans 8, 8 through 9 says, So then those that are in the flesh or in the natural man cannot please God. Verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. To be born again, you receive the, the washing of the blood of the Lamb, and then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of his righteousness. He cleanses you to clothe you with himself. Isn't that beautiful? He washes you first. He gets that smell off of you, all the sin of your past. Washes you white as snow so he can clothe you with himself and with his righteousness. It says, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So we often talk in Christian circles like, oh, that person's in the flesh. Well, Paul's talking about it in these general terms of, you're no longer in the flesh, you're in the spirit. What you offer to God by faith is acceptable to him, and it smells good to him, and it's a beautiful aroma to him. Glory to God. We're no longer clothed in filthy garments of the flesh. We no longer stink to God. We're no longer offering the dead works of our flesh, of our own self-efforts. We are offering back to God the things of the Spirit He's given us by faith. We smell like Jesus. Praise God. We're clothed in His righteousness. Song of Songs says, The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a, give a good smell. You know, God's into good smells. Isn't it great when you walk into a coffee store and you're just like, oh, I mean, if you like coffee, you're like, oh, that smell of coffee. Or you open uh, your specialty coffee beans before you grind them and you sniff them and you say, oh, I love that smell. Or, or maybe it's the smell of rain on, on a spring day. You walk out and you're like, oh, the air just smells so good. God has favorite smells too. And his favorite smell is his son, Jesus Christ. And his favorite smell is his children who are clothed with Jesus Christ. Amen. The bridegroom says, I smell the fruit of my garden in you. Too many believers go around quoting Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That is the heart of the flesh. That's the heart of the natural man. Listen, we are no longer in the flesh, Paul said, but we're in the spirit. We've been given a new heart. We've, been, we've had a transplant. God's taken that old stony heart, that hard heart out of us, and he's transplanted it with a new heart, the new heart of his son, Jesus Christ. Praise God. I'm not in the flesh anymore. I'm in the spirit. That, that verse in, in Jeremiah 17, 9, that's what I was. My heart was deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, but it's not anymore. He's given me a new heart. Glory to God, and he's given you a new heart. You're a new creature in Christ. Praise God. True, there's no good thing in me that is in my flesh. That's what, that's what Paul said in Romans 7. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Let's return to the beautiful letter Paul wrote from his first imprisonment to his friend Philemon. Paul wrote four books when he was in his first imprisonment. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the little tiny letter Philemon. Philemon is the most personal letter he wrote. It was to a specific person, to his friend, who was a strong believer named Philemon. 
Verse 5, let's look at this again. It says, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Paul commends Philemon for his love and faith toward Jesus and toward all the saints or the holy ones. Those are, those are believers. Look, we're not in the Catholic Church. People are not canonized as saints. If you have the Holy Spirit in you and you've been born again five seconds, you are a saint. You are a holy one. You have the Spirit of Christ living in you. So Paul says, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward Jesus and toward all the saints. Listen, I understand love and faith toward Jesus and I understand love toward the saints, but love and faith toward the saints? That's what he said. Faith, the word pistis, can also be understood and interpreted as confidence. He's saying you have love and confidence toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that interesting? Love and confidence. Look at what he says in verse 6. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Do you want to become more effective in sharing your faith? I do. I love that story that you shared, Drake, about just the burden God gave you to pray and the name that he gave you and going out in fear and trembling to do open-air preaching. I love that. And, and some will be called to that. And some will be called just to be a witness in their workplace and a witness to their family and a witness wherever they are at the grocery store. But God wants us to become effective in sharing our faith. Paul says this. He says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Do you understand what, that, what that's saying, what, he, what he's meaning here? Listen, Jesus is more than God with us. He's God in us. What good things are in me? Nothing in my flesh, but all the good things that are in Christ. All the good things that are in Christ. Paul said there is a God mystery that was hidden from past generations, but that has now been revealed to his saints. Colossians 1.27 says, To them he, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What was the mystery that was hidden from so many generations of people that sought God and prophets and kings and priests? They couldn't see it, but it's been revealed in Paul's day. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul said, you want to become effective in sharing your faith? Begin to acknowledge and understand every good thing which is in you by Christ Jesus. Not trust, he's not, Paul is not saying, I want you to trust in the old self and the old flesh have self-confidence. No, he's saying, put your confidence in Christ in you. There's goodness. There's life. Put your confidence. Discover the goodness of Christ and know that he's in you. Don't walk around always saying, oh, God, my heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Do you really believe that? If you do, I probably don't want to be your friend. I definitely don't want you as my neighbor. Do you know what I'm saying? God has given us a new heart. He's put goodness in us, and all that goodness is in Christ Jesus. So the glory goes to God and not to us. Hallelujah. Colossians 2, 2 through 3 says, That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches 
of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom, or in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What's in you? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why? Because they're in Christ. They're, they're there. They may be hidden, but the Holy Spirit is given to you to unpack that, to unpack those revelations, to unpack that wisdom, to unpack that knowledge of Christ, to see the beauty of the face of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is given to us for. Praise God. We become more effective in the work of the Spirit by acknowledging every good thing which is in us because Christ is in us. He is our treasure in this earthen vessel, this vessel of clay. Christ in us is surrounded by this fleshly vessel. You'd think he'd be like, oh, this is a really gross place I have to live. I have to live in this human body. But that doesn't trouble him at all because his spirit is greater than all our sinful flesh. We should have confidence in Christ in us and in our brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about that. Romans 15, 14. Listen to what Paul said. Now I am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able to admonish or teach one another. Praise God. Paul didn't say, I'm confident that your hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. He said, I am confident concerning you, my brothers, that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. Why? He was confident in Christ in them. Do you see? That's the caveat. That's the distinction. It was Christ in them that he had confidence in. And we should have confidence in that same Christ. And we should have confidence in Christ in each other. Amen? Praise God. Was Paul ignorant of the sins and problems and unchristlike attitudes that would sometimes be revealed in the saints? No, not at all. But his view was that the saints were in a, are in a process of sanctification or growing up into the maturity of Christ. He understood that it's a process. You get saved and you have all of Christ, but that Christ in you needs to grow up into maturity. Remember what John the Baptist said? He said, he must increase, I must decrease. You see, that's what happens from the time that you first receive Christ. He starts to grow in you. And at first it might seem small and people around you might be like, are they really saved? You know, they still got a, a lot of that old junk still hanging on them. But as Christ grows in you, as you keep looking to him by faith, Christ is growing and he's pushing out the old. It's like a cup that has a, it has a liquid substance in it and you pour something into it that has a greater mass and that greater mass causes that liquid to come out. That's growth. That's spiritual growth and it takes time and that's what sanctification is. It's the Holy Spirit taking the reality of Christ in you and causing you to grow up into fullness and maturity in Christ. And guess what? We're all at different places. We're all at different levels of maturity in Christ and God wants us to have an attitude toward each other that is one of a father that's patient with his child, knowing, okay, there's some immaturity here, there's some childishness here, but they're going to grow. I'm going to keep pouring into them, and they're going to grow. Paul said this in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
God's not a quitter. Don't quit on him. Don't give up your faith. Don't cast off your faith for the lies and the philosophies of this world. Your faith has a great reward. And some of it you're going to experience here on earth, but the greatest reward is coming. It's coming. He's confident that Christ is going to complete the work that he started. Is that how you think of your brothers and sisters that may be immature, immature or, or acting in, in, a, in a bad way maybe? And you're like, ah, they can't even be saved. Ah, grow up. Ah, what's wrong with you? Or do you have the attitude of Christ? And Paul displays this beautifully in the rest of the book of Philemon. But in Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Listen, he's using, he's using birthing room language. He says, I'm travailing for you in prayer until Christ is formed in you, until he grows in you. I see your immaturity, and I'm not going to come and deal with you harshly and slap you in the face and say, what's wrong with you? I'm going to agonize for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you until Christ grows up in you. Praise God. Praise God. God is the one who makes things grow. Growth takes time. It can't be rushed in the natural or in the spiritual. Spiritual growth is even a greater miracle than growth in nature. It's a miracle when you plant a seed and you see some plant grow up and produce a beautiful flower. It's a miracle. But spiritual growth is even a greater work. God is the one who makes things grow. Church, listen, you cannot make your brother and sister grow in Christ. You can't. You can assist them by watering them, by encouraging them, by praying for them, by agonizing for them, but you can't make them grow. So take your hands off them and stop shaking them by the neck and saying, grow, brother, grow, sister, and let God do it. Just be a part of his plan. Maybe his plan for you is just to back off and, and pray. Maybe it's to call them and say, hey, I know you're going through something. I love you. But guess what? If we come to each other in a spirit of pride or self-righteousness, we're not walking in the spirit. And God smells that on us. He smells it and he says, that stinks, guys. Don't act like that toward each other. Be clothed in humility. Remember, if, you have some, if you've attained some spiritual growth in Christ, it was all by grace. You received it as a gift from God. He's the one that took that addiction out of your life. He's the one that helped you start being kinder and less critical and less crabby and less scratchy. He's the one that did it. So thank God that he did it in you and encourage your brother or sister that he can do it in them. Instead of being like, what's the matter with you? I got this. I'm, I'm more mature. Philemon 7, for we have great joy and comfort in your love. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, verse 8, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I love this. You know, people like to think of Paul, especially young men, young believers that are men that are zealous. They're like, yeah, Paul. I mean, in Galatians, Peter, Peter was acting like a hypocrite and Paul just was like... I confront you, brother. Right? 
Paul confronted Peter. He put him in his place. He confronted that he was acting like a hypocrite and he wasn't walking according to the grace of God. Young men are like, yeah, that's how we do it. That's how we roll. We're just going to tell people, boom, you're in the flesh. No. That was one instance. And yes, there's a time to be direct. And yes, there's a time to confront error. And I'm not saying Paul did anything wrong. But look at this. Here he talks to Philemon. He says, he says, I might be bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. I have the apostolic authority. I could tell you what to do. I just say, this is what you got to do, Philemon. But he said, for love's sake, rather, I appeal to you. I love that. Friends, we need to walk in that same kind of love, appeal to each other. You see your brother or sister going astray? I'm not saying don't say anything, but pray first. Agonize with, with, in prayer over them first before you open your mouth. And when you've begun to pray for them, God's going to give you some words of life to speak to them that aren't going to be self-righteous and cutting them down and stinking before God. You see what I'm saying? And when you come to them, come as, as, a, as an appeal. Come with gentleness. Come for love's sake. Be very slow and very, very afraid to come like, I'm going to tell you what, what time it is and I'm going to tell you spiritually where you're wrong. Be very, very careful. I'm going to close with a story. I was, this is about three years ago, I was at the Encourage Conference in Baton Rouge where my friend Drake goes to church. And um, it was a powerful time. This is where God told me to lay down preaching. This is where God told me, Aaron, there's things in you that need to die in order for my life to come forward. And he had me lay down preaching or ministry on the pulpit for a whole year. And it was the best year of my Christian life. It's where I received back my prayer life, my, my private worship. It was incredible. But in that period of time, I was, it, was so, it was an interesting thing. I was... Well, I'm going to just tell this. This is a story within a story. And Ann Phillips was with me. We were, it was like the second day of the conference. And in between the meetings, the morning and evening, we were at Jeff Lee's house. And we were just going to go get ice cream. So we went in, uh, in Ann's vehicle, I think. Was this right? We were in the Suburban, I think. Went in this car and we were just going through the streets of, the, the little streets of Baton Rouge. And man, I'm telling you, that is a backwards place. But please don't be offended if you're from Baton Rouge. The streets are, it's like they've got these ditches, like the culvert is like, here's the street and here's your, here's your shoulder. It's like straight down. So if you go off into the shoulder, boom, your car's going into the, to like a five-foot ditch. Well, sure enough, we pull around the corner and here's the scene. There's this, this suburban that's had obviously gone into the shoulder and they were tipped like sideways like this in, in, on, on the, the ditch. And there's this guy, this probably 19-year-old guy with a pickup truck, and he's got a chain, and I can see what's happening. He's like, I'm going to pull this guy out. And I could see by the angle of the truck that his, his math wasn't right. It wasn't going to work. He needed a different angle. And so I thought, I'll just get out and give him some tips. I'm an old contractor. You know, old guys sometimes know something. So I said, hey, man, uh, I think your angle, you need to get more parallel with this guy and pull him out gradually. He's like, no, I got a truck, and I'm getting him out. I said, all right, man, I'm walking away. <laughs> so I walked away, and I got back in the vehicle, and we put the camera on, the, the, the iPhone on. We were videoing it, and sure enough, Thursday, he's got the wrong angle. Plus, he's got this 20-foot chain, and he's got slack in it, and he's just going to gun it. Well, if you know anything about physics, that ain't going to work. 
So he puts the slack in the chain and he just floors it. And sure enough, boom, the chain ripped off his bumper and flew back and smashed the window of the Suburban. I mean, just devastated the back of the Suburban. And we were all like laughing and thought it was hilarious. I think I posted on Facebook. I'm like, yeah, wow, those Southerners. Anyway, it was just funny. I didn't think much of it. Well, the next day I woke up in the morning. Just remember that story. I woke up in the morning, and the, my, pastor, who, my pastor at the time was with me, and he left to go back to Wisconsin. And I was praying, and this, this has never happened to me before, but this burden from God came on me so strong for, one, for a, another minister. There's a lot of pastors at this, this Encourage conference. For another minister that, he was, that there was some strong temptation, some strong temptation of sin in his life. And it was so clear and so strong. I actually started weeping. It was like, it was like somebody died. I can't, under, I can't explain it. I felt this groaning in me and I was weeping and praying. And I said, Lord, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? And I just was interceding and I was praying and I was weeping. And I thought, maybe I'll just try to reach out to this pastor and talk to him and, and say, you know, maybe try to help him somehow. And so I just, I left, I came, that was, it was a Saturday morning, they had the men's breakfast and men's preacher, and the preacher got, I, I said to God, this is in the prayer time, we'll go back a little bit, I said to God, Lord, I need a confirmation this is from you. And I prayed and he said, go to the book of Judges and Samson. So I went to the book of Judges and I read about Samson and his fall into sexual sin. And I was like, oh wow, that's strong, Lord. I leave there, I go to the men's breakfast, it's like an hour later, I'm at the men's breakfast, fellowshipping, whatever, and the pastor, another guest pastor, gets up to speak, and he says, brothers, I'm, and I'm, I get up, and I'm walking to the back of the, the, the room, because I want to use the restroom before he started. He said, brothers, the Lord's put on my heart this morning to talk about Samson, and the Spirit of God fell on me, that same burden, and I started weeping. I mean, like, I was a Marine, like, I don't cry like that, and I was weeping, running for the door, running for the bathroom, so I could get out of there and just cry by myself it was so strong and so powerful and I, actually you were there and he's, he asked me about it just recently he said what was going on there when you were kind of bawling in the bathroom man <laughs> so I told him the story which I'm telling you now and I just and a guy and a different guy came up to me he's like you all right man I'm like yeah yeah and I composed myself I went back in I heard his sermon it was a powerful sermon and then I gave a testimony at the end of that that was a very vulnerable testimony but that that's not important so I'm looking for this pastor, like keeping my eyes open for him. And that night, I see him at the altar. This is a big church, and there was probably 15, 20 people at the altar praying. And here I see this guy praying. I thought, you know, I'm going to go pray. This is my time. So I went up to him, and I prayed over. I was praying over him, and I, and I, felt, the, the, I felt like the Holy Spirit was praying through me. And the guy's just weeping, like snot is coming out of his, his face. And I'm like, oh, praise God. And I stand up. And the guy stands up and turns around and looks at me, and it wasn't the same guy. It was a mistaken identity. I, it was somebody that looked like the pastor I had a burden for. And I'm telling you, I was like, what? I thought I was hearing the Spirit. I thought that was God. And, and it, it really shook me. I'm not an up-and-down Christian. I'm not a Christian that has real lows of doubt and real highs of ecstatic faith. I'm just kind of an even-keeled believer. But that, the devil came in and I, I was like, what just happened? I went to the bathroom, I'm like, what just happened? And the devil came in with lies and darts in my mind. It was like, that, you, yeah, like this is all a big, this is all made up in your mind, Aaron, and that just is proof of it. You just completely miss God. And my faith was just under attack and under siege. And 
and I was like, God, I don't understand. I didn't even want to hear my favorite preacher preach. He was preaching that night. And I had been so excited. I'm like, I don't even want to hear it. I sat, I finally came in and sat down. I'm like, I had my Bible. And I heard the enemy say, just take your Bible and go set it up on his, on his pulpit and say, I'm walking away. I didn't do that, thank God. I sat there and as the man preached, I don't know what he said. I don't remember one word he said. But as he preached, the Holy Spirit just lifted my spirit. He just lifted me out of that despair. And I left there, went back to the hotel, and in the morning I was praying, and I was in a better state. But I said, Lord, what happened? How did I miss this so big? How did I pray for the wrong? I thought you were speaking to me. It was so powerful. How did I pray for the wrong guy? And the Holy Spirit said, remember what happened with the truck? I said, yes. You mean the truck and the chain and the, and the, the hick? Yeah, I remember, God. I remember. He said, that man was trying to help someone get out of a ditch, but he was using the wrong angle and the wrong force, and he made that, he hurt that man worse. Could have killed somebody. He could have killed somebody driving with that much force on the chain. If someone was standing there, it would have cut him in half. And the Holy Spirit said, Aaron, if you deal with people with any pride to try to help them, even if you're right, you will hurt them more than help them. And I said, oh, God. Thank you for showing me this. Thank you for this. My friends, I share that to tell you this. You can have the truth that can help your friend. But if you share it in the wrong spirit with pride, not only does it stink to God, but it can backfire and hurt them worse. Your self-righteousness trying to pull somebody out. We have to be clothed with love and clothed with humility when we're helping somebody else up out of a ditch. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your word that it is living and powerful, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword that it truly penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Father, I pray for these people here today, Jesus. God, I pray that they would become more effective in sharing their faith by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in them, by knowing that Christ is not just with them but in them, and that there are treasures to grow in in Christ. But Lord, I pray that as we try to grow in you and help others, that we would be like Paul the aged, that we would be like Paul when he was coming out of prison, that we would deal with people for love's sake, not with harshness, not with commands, not with self-righteousness, but Lord, in the humility and love of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would preserve our unity in this church and you'd increase it, Lord. I pray that when we see faults in each other, that, Lord, we wouldn't point the finger, we'd go to our knees, Jesus. I pray that we'd travail for each other in prayer until Christ is formed in each one of us. Father, I thank you for giving me this word and I pray that it would impact us powerfully, Lord. It would set a tone for the culture of how we deal with each other, that we'd have confidence in Christ in each of us.
in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say this to any who are here who maybe you're still offering to God filthy rags. God wants you to offer him a sacrifice that's acceptable. He wants your life to be acceptable through faith in him. The gospel is simple. It's simply this, that God sent his son to die for your sins. And he died and was buried and he rose again the third day. And if you will trust that truth, that God sent the Messiah, the Christ, to die for your sins, and you believe that God rose him from the dead, it says, you'll be saved. So I want to challenge you and encourage you that God wants to redeem your life. He loves you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. But he has only one way to himself, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. He's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So I encourage you, do you, or I exhort you and ask you, do you believe that simple gospel? That God is a son that he sent who died for your sins and rose again and will wash you from your sins and save you, put his spirit in you, put his righteousness on you. Do you believe it? I've had people tell me the gospel in a beautiful way. They've explained the grace of God in some ways more beautifully than, than other believers I've, I've known. And I said, but do you believe it? And they said to me, cold face in the eye, and said, no, I don't believe it. How heartbreaking is that? How heartbreaking is that? It's a choice. God's not going to force you. Love would never force you. Love invites you. It invites you.